HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and today is a very special show because I'm not in the studio today with guests. In fact, I am way up north of New York City, about, what, two and a half hours, two and a half to three hours north of New York City, at the farm of the fabulous Beekman Boys, Brent Ridge and Josh Kilmer Purcell. Welcome. I mean, no, you welcome me. I'm at yeah. your farm. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome to our kitchen where all the magic happens. <laughs> this is fantastic. It is absolutely beautiful here. And even though it's a rainy day, the flowers are glowing and the, the chickens are clucking. And it truly is a magical experience. And the reason we're here today, not just well, for me to see the gorgeous surroundings... But to talk about a new book that is just being released, and it is the Beekman 1802 Heirloom Dessert Cookbook. That's right. Doesn't that sound yummy? It does. I mean, who doesn't want to tuck into a great big bowl of banana pudding That's with right. vanilla wafers? And I mean, you know, the thing about desserts is that they're so wonderful, they can be so elegant, but they're also kind of naughty. They are. They exactly. Are. I mean, that was kind of the, the, the impetus of writing this book is, you know, what family doesn't have one dessert that, you know, mom makes or grandmother makes that everybody loves? You know, so you go off to college and you, you're coming home and you say, oh, please make your banana pudding or your coconut cake or your lemon squares. You know, desserts just have that natural affinity to them. Even if you don't have a sweet tooth, you probably still have a favorite dessert. And and after we published the first cookbook, which was the heirloom cookbook, the number one question people said was, can you do a dessert one? Can you do dessert? So we did. Well, now, um, those of you who are familiar with Brent and Josh know that they are the fabulous Beekman boys of the television of television fame. Their show is currently uh, running on the Cooking Channel, correct? That's correct. And this is the third season? Second season. Second season. Wow. And you have a previous cookbook, the Heirloom Recipe Cookbook. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, of course, a natural follow. 
But did you, in fact, go around to all your relatives to collect these recipes? Yes, um, we went around to our relatives, our friends, our neighbors. And one of the things we learned when we were two city guys who moved up to this farm, you know, farming community. And one of the things we learned was that food is what ties families and communities together. So we did. We went to our families. Uh, we went to our neighbors, went to our friends and, and asked them to share their heirloom recipes. But then what we did, because most of my family is from Wisconsin, so there was a lot of cream of things soup in our heirloom recipes. <laughs> but what we did was we updated them with sort of farm fresh twists on uh, based on what we have in our garden or what the animals we're raising. So we kind of put twists on them. Well, that's, that was going to be one of my questions. Um, are these actually you know, old recipes, ingredient per ingredient, or you have indeed? So you just answered the question. You tweaked them. They are your own takes. And some of them, as, I, as we were talking before the show, um, you said, do I have any favorites? And of course I do. And some of them, if they're not heirloom, they are destined to become heirloom. We like to hear that. Yeah. We like to hear that. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know what? I didn't, couldn't really pick out in looking at all the different recipes. Now, Brent, you are originally from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And Josh, you were raised in Wisconsin. Most, mostly right? Wisconsin, mostly yeah. in Wisconsin. And, of course, living in the city for how many umpteen years and then moving up here. I couldn't really pick up a difference in regions with the with the desserts. Well, what's funny is Josh always makes fun of me because all of the desserts that my family made and that, that I really enjoy are not not anything that's really complicated. Uh, he said you don't actually cook anything; you just kind of assemble agree- ingredients into something. And so like banana pudding. I, or, you know, here's here's the yeah. southern southern recipes: are take vanilla wafers, pudding, whipped cream, and put it in the refrigerator for two hours. And then yeah, <laughs> and it is delicious. And what's wrong with that? That's exactly. Right, that's yeah. right. Um, but but there are definitely regional uh, twists in the book. For instance, there's the banana pudding that your your grandmother uh, made, but you've updated with homemade vanilla wafers. Yes, and uh, yes, you can make yeah, your own I, vanilla well, wafers. Well, now that I was impressed with that, it what, didn't come from the vanilla wafer bag. Right. <laughs> now, but I mean, we give instructions that people can just use their own vanilla wafers, but we also give the recipe for vanilla wafers. Uh, it, well, okay. My next question is. Which of you is the baker and which is the cook? It's a good question. Every relationship has one, right? Somebody, somebody likes to cook. Somebody likes the precise uh, measurements of baking. Um, Brent, I think, is more of, of the cook. Uh, I love to bake. I mean, absolutely love to bake. He has the best pie crust in the world. Uh-huh. But I do approach baking like cooking. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I should always be measuring and, and doing, but, but I often, when I'm baking... I know how to make a basic crust and a basic cake, and that's where I start and, and create from there. All right. Well, now, the question that I know many of our listeners might have, you know, we talk about heirloom vegetables, heirloom seeds, and mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't into the, the whole antique aesthetic. In your opinion, what makes an heirloom recipe or, let's say, an heirloom dessert? Right. Well, you know, we like to say that we defined what an heirloom recipe is with our first book. And essentially, what, what we loved about all the recipes in our first book and all the recipes in this in the second book um, is that every recipe has a story. And in order for a recipe to get a story, it has to be made over and over again. That's how it develops its own mythology around that particular dish. And we thought, okay, well, what is it about you know, particular dishes that make them become part of our family tables, you know, things that you make over and over again. And we said, okay, well, it has to obviously be delicious. Uh, It has to be relatively easy to make. 
uh, and it has to have ingredients that you can find pretty readily. And so really that's, those are the three criteria that we put into all of our recipes. So if, if, if the recipe doesn't fit those three criteria, one, it's not going to become an heirloom recipe. And two, it's not going to make its way into our book because we really do want a book filled with recipes that people can actually make and enjoy, not something that's just a special occasion recipe or something that requires 30 different bowls and special equipment to make. We really, really want something that people are going to use. All right. Uh, well, I, I noticed, not noticed, I read on the internet and, of course, watched the video and looked at the pictures that you just celebrated your marriage and had a wonderful wedding here mm-hmm. on the property. Congratulations to you Thank both. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. And in the some of the photographs, I noticed a huge entire table filled with desserts and beautiful antique-looking platters. And the, you had already written the book by this point. I was going to say, was yeah. this was this inspiration for the book? But it it certainly. Um, it, I think feeds into your whole aesthetic yeah, of, of it's, the interlude. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the way we live, and and we believe that food is the center of every celebration. You know, you look back at Christmases or, or holidays or weddings or birthdays. That, that's the thing you remember is the food. So for our wedding, we um, we we didn't need gifts. We're well along in our lives and we're fine. So we we ask people to bring a dish that they loved having at celebrations, at their family celebrations. Because if you've got a whole long table full of people's celebrations, then you've got a celebration. And right. uh, and it was just wonderful to see what people brought. And then we also asked them to bring the recipes. So um, we've, we photographed them with their heirloom dishes, and then we're sharing the recipes with everybody as well. Oh, on, our, so on our website. So soon all of those recipes will be on our website. It's like another book. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are not just known for your television show and your wonderful cookbooks but your shop too which is Beekman 1802 mm-hmm. yeah, the name of this house the house mm-hmm. it was built in 1802 obviously mm-hmm. this uh, the farmhouse um, beautiful old farmhouse and we'll try to post a picture of that on the radio website um, and we have some video going on here too so we'll have a little video clip of it uh, but this the, your shop the Beekman 1802 shop is I mean that has really helped put Sharon Springs back on the map. Sharon Springs, uh, tell us a little bit about Sharon Springs because it's it it has some history. Well, Sharon Springs was an amazing spa town. It was used to swell to ninety thousand people every summer from city uh, city residents, people from all around the world really that came to take the waters here in Sharon Springs. We had three separate mineral springs, but then you know people stopped taking the waters and and the town died and and now. Uh, as of the turn of the century, we only had about 540 people, permanent residents in town. So we stumbled on it. We're two city guys. Uh, we stumbled on it when we were driving around one weekend upstate, and we fell in love. There's all these old hotels and old bathhouses, um, and we just fell in love with it. So we we bought this farm, um, not knowing what we were doing. And then in 2008, we lost our jobs, like a lot of Americans in the city, and we said we have to make this farm work. So. We took in a goat farmer with goats. We started making soap. We started making cheese. But then we started meeting all these other great people in the area, craftsmen, artisans that were making great food products or, or blacksmiths or weavers. They were making all these terrific products, and they didn't know what to do with them. So we always say, we always joke that our neighbors taught us how to farm, and we taught them how to market. So we, we are now working not only with our own farm and our products, but we're working with all of our neighbors uh, to help them brand and sell their goods. So Beekman 1802 has become somewhat of a, a whole lifestyle brand. It's a collective, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. 
Uh, Has your aesthetic always kind of run to the antique or vintage? Uh, Well, our aesthetic I like to call (laughs) high-low because, you know, we often, and people who look through our cookbooks and the beautiful photography by Paulette Tavermina will see that, you know, we'll use, you know, a piece, an old piece of, uh, you know, silver plate and pair it with, you know, a $10,000 bowl from Kristoff. You know, that, that's kind of the look that we like to go for because that's, it's an heirloom look. You know, when you're living your life, sometimes you're going to have a, a, a piece of whiteware and sometimes you're going to have a piece of china. And you don't always have to separate them. You should blend them together. And so that... And it sort of evolved just naturally for us. People, people always made fun of us on our television show. Or not made fun, but took note that we, would, we were farming in our Brooks Brothers. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that wasn't an affectation. That was because we came from the city. We had lost our jobs. So we didn't have other clothes. So we were using the clothes that we wore in the city. We weren't going to buy farm. clothes just for farming. Yeah. <laughs> they will soon become farm clothes. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Out in the mud, for yeah. sure. Uh, they, well, I wondered because um, people just naturally think of Beekman 1802. When they think of the store, when they think of the products... They think, oh, vintage and artisanal, mm. and in fact, it is. But it's in turned, as you said. It's got right a modern low. twist, it's yeah, right? Modern it's twist, modern. right? It's turned to, to that. Um, yep. And and essentially, we we think of the mercantile as a resurrection of what William Beekman, uh, the namesake of our farm, uh, did. Um, this, he was a very wealthy man in his day. And the source of his wealth was that he was um, the biggest merchant in this area. And this entire area used to be called Beekman Corners. And in fact, when um, people were starting kind of the wagon trail, you know, people from the northeast who were heading out west, this area was kind of the last, uh, kind of the last gas station, so to speak. Hmm. And so people would stop at his mercantile and fill up on flour and, you know, those types of things that they needed for this long journey across the west. And so, you know, we always like to say William Beekman would have had the very best of things in this shop. and um, Not you know, necessarily the most expensive or the right. fanciest, but the things that would last and be durable and be heirloom. And uh, so we like to say, well, his, his business was dormant for a little while, and now we've just brought it back. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. We've done a wonderful job. Thank you. So. Yeah. Okay, let's talk recipes. All right. You asked me if I had a few favorites, and indeed I do. I'm sure everyone well, will look through your book, and they'll, find, they'll find a favorite. Well, we, we hope so, but this is our first informal poll, so we're, we're anxious <laughs> to see what, what you chose. Well, I, you know, I, I gave the, uh, the, well, not a quick look. I gave kind of a, a deep look. Do you have favorites as you are writing this? I mean, obviously, you each culled from your background and your relatives. I'm sure something's going to come up. Well, they're all my favorites, of course. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made the cut. Uh, but I do really love the, um, the the dessert that we put on the front of the book. And uh, we call it the pancake cake. And the way this came about was that Josh is a lover of pancakes. Uh, I'm not so much of a sweets eater at breakfast, um, but he loves pancakes. And so whenever he makes up batter, uh, he always has pancakes left over because I usually don't eat them. And so we had this big plate of pancakes one day. And we're like, what can we do with these? And so we came up with this idea for the pancake cake. Um, and so it's really like a, a very traditional, like, you know, million layer cake or thousand layer cake. And um, you have these thin layers using your pancakes. And then because pancakes aren't very sweet, 
then we put a very sweet icing in between the layer of maple syrup icing. Um, but what I love about that recipe is that not only is it using something that's very easy to make, I mean, you can whip out a thousand pancakes in no time, um, but you can really get creative with it. And that's what we love about recipes in our books is that we want people to be able to adapt them for their own taste. And uh, as you probably noted when you look through the book, every, every recipe pays page has its own column for notes uh, and marginalia and um, we want to see people writing in the book like oh i made this recipe but i use chocolate chip pancakes and you know lemon icing you know we want that well i noticed i did notice that and you did the same thing in the heirloom recipe cookbook right that's right giving people i mean my books are all marked mm-hmm. up anyway nobody gave me room to write right. so <laughs> thank just, you we just very give much. You permission yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when we did that uh, the first cookbook which came out in 2011 um, you know, we wanted the notes, and we wanted the notes section primarily because, again, we wanted to create a book that, in and of itself, became an heirloom. So, something that your family treasured, and we knew that having, you know, your grandmother's handwriting in it a hundred years from now is going to be make it important. And um, so, we put these notes sections on every page, and then, uh, lo and behold, we became trendsetters because just last year, or earlier this year, the New York Times did an entire article in the food section about marginalia hmm. and uh, and and notes writing notes and cooking. Books, so I, I predict before long every cookbook's going to have them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, actually, when I saw the cover of the book, and, and everyone will see that on uh, in a video, but also on our um, the show page on the radio network, I thought, whoa, they brought back the stack cake, mm-hmm. which was another name for it, and yeah. that was similarly, you know, that same thing, pancake cake or the stack cake, the most right. cake, and it it certainly you know spoke to me as soon as I saw it. <laughs> Well, I have a couple of favorites. Okay, let's hear them. All right. One of my favorites that I have never heard of before, and so I thought, well, maybe they made it up, and it's destined to become an heirloom. You tell me the background. That um, Those are the Rocky Road Pot Stickers. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, that's something that came up because we wanted to have some recipes that were kind of party recipes, like if you had a big group of people coming over, you could do something. And um, and we think anytime you're doing like a party recipe or a finger food type recipe, it needs to be a conversation starter. And so we were just thinking, you know, what, what type of, you know, ingredients can we blend together that will make a conversation piece? And uh, everybody, of course, knows the classic parts of Rocky Road, Rocky Road ice cream. And so we're like, okay, what can we do with that? And um, so we just came up with the idea of, you know, putting them into dumplings. And that's how it came about. And they're, and they're really, really perfect party favors. You know, little and that's snacks. a great example of it's an heirloom flavor. It's an, you know, Rocky Road is an, is an heirloom tradition, but we just, we just took it in an entirely different direction than ice cream. And so these, uh, these somethings are actually fried. There's mm-hmm. like a fried dough. Yes. yes. Great with flavor. Ho- with a gooey chocolate marshmallow center. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the other one, of course, we, I have to talk about because there are a lot of people who wouldn't have the opportunity to make this, and that is... The snow cream. Yes, and that is from my family. And, um, you know, I grew up in North Carolina. We had snow, if we were lucky, one time a year. And so it was big cause for celebration. You know, we tried to do everything that we could with snow. And uh, so we, my mom and my grandmother would always make snow cream, and it's so simple. I mean, you, you just take, you know, get the freshest snow you can. Uh, you put in a little milk or uh, condensed milk, you know, condensed sweetened milk, um, and then you can add any flavorings that you want to it. You can put cocoa powder in. You can put vanilla in. You can add, you know, walnuts, whatever. Um, and in like 10 minutes, you have this delicious bowl of ice cream, and uh, it's just such a great winter treat. Well, speaking of ice cream, you just 
hinted to me that you've got something, a product coming out, a new product coming out. That's Can I right. talk about that? Yes, yeah, so we have our uh, our new chocolate goat milk ice creams coming out. We we had our vanilla ice creams come out earlier this uh, summer. We did four flavors of vanilla. We did orchid vanilla, tart cherry almond swirl, mm. uh, goat milk caramel swirl, and uh, balsamic drizzle swirl, which was an amazing balsamic balsamic vinegar with figs and elderberries swirled in oh, vanilla. Nice. It was terrific. But our chocolate one, the one I'm really excited about, it's a fairly standard. Uh, Mexican chocolate, but it's, it's a cinnamon with uh, our own hot, hot pepper powder in it, in the chocolate ice cream. It is tremendous. Well, tell me, how many goats, you, this is goat, so these are, this yeah, is goat, goat milk, milk from your own farm. We, right? we just think everything's goat milk now. We, we never make the distinction. How many goats do you have and how much milk do they produce? Right now we have about 120 goats um, and uh, we're producing... Well, it depends. You know, it can vary each I think week. It's about sixteen hundred, about sixteen hundred pounds of milk each week, and uh, so we're making several different varieties of cheese, including our signature black cheese, uh, which this year had a waiting list of five thousand people, hmm. um, which we just started working our way down. And um, now, what we started doing is also working with other local che- artisanal cheesemakers uh, to come up with unique limited edition um, goat milk cheeses. Um, and so uh, later this year, we're going to launch our cheese club, and where every month you'll be able to get a new artisanal cheese in your mail. Where, um, where is the cheese, well, the ice cream, where is the ice cream available? How can we get the ice cream? Well, unfortunately, you have to come to Sharon Springs for the ice cream. Okay. But everything, it's worth the pilgrimage. It's worth the trip. But everything else, all the cheeses and all our other artisanal goods, you can find at Beekman1802.com. All right, terrific. Okay, so I have another recipe I want to talk about. And that is just a personal favorite Mm -hmm. of mine that I found in the book because it's, to me, sort of not really a dessert recipe, but it is a dessert recipe, and it takes in all those summer flavors, and I think right now in August is a perfect time to talk about it, and that's the sweet green tomato ham pies. Yes, I think you must be a southerner. I know. Because you're choosing (laughs) all of my influenced recipes. I'm sorry. (laughs) Give me one. Go with the His nougat brownies. Well, you had to make the dough. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, well, again, this uh, the, the ham pies came out of uh, green tomato pie, which my you know family used to make. And again, that's one of those kind of uh, recipes that came about in the South because, okay, we have a lot of green tomatoes. How are we going to use them? You know, just like fried green tomatoes. And um, so it's actually Sandy Gluck, who we work with on our books, uh, who said, oh, why don't we turn that idea into a hand pie to make it uh, to easier to carry around and, you know, last longer and you're sitting out, you know, outside. And uh, so that's how that came about. But it's, but it's not a, a fried pie. It's no, a no, baked it's a fried. Pie. Yeah, okay. yeah. But that's also, it's also a sign of sort of what happens on the farm here and what we've learned. You know, this time of year, the raspberries are done, the strawberries done, the currants, the gooseberries, all the, all the summer fruits are on their way out. And we haven't gotten to the to the pumpkins and the apples and the things. So now we're in a dearth of fruit. So you start looking around and think, what can I make sweet? And one of those things is and green that, And that's actually how some of our most creative ideas come about. Because we'll be like, well, good grief. We've got all this zucchini. What are we going to make with all this zucchini? And, and that's how some of our... That's mm-hmm. how we derive our inspiration. Right. Well, what I failed to mention in describing your book, and but we've been talking about the seasonal desserts, is that you have divided the desserts up into seasons, which... Mm-hmm. You just mentioned it makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, we most 
all of our recipes, everything online, everything in our books, we, we always divide by season because that's literally how we live. And, and I'm, I love going through old cookbooks just like anybody else. And, then, and I realized how seasonal these, even though old cookbooks aren't necessarily divided by season, I started realizing that all the winter desserts were made with lard and all the summer desserts were made with butter. And that's, of course, because you're milking in summer and you've slaughtered your pigs in fall, so you have the lard. So I think there's a lot to be learned uh, about cooking when you're restricted like we are to what you have in the garden in a grocery store that's an hour away. So Right, right. Excellent point. Excellent point. You mentioned uh, the berries in the summer season going mm. out the window and they're finished. And you mentioned gooseberries. All right. There's a story behind gooseberries. You've turned into some of the, the, <laughs> the largest producing gooseberry farms around. With our right? 10 bushes. Yeah. We're large gooseberry experts. Right. Uh, tell me a little bit about gooseberries. Well, gooseberries are part of the Ribes family, and um, they have completely fallen out of favor. And so we were walking through the woods one day here on the outskirts of the farm, and we found a bunch of black currants and red currants uh, that some long ago farmer had planted. And so that's when I started researching the fa- that family of plants. And what we learned was, and gooseberries are part of that family, uh, what we learned was gooseberries were one of the most popular fruits in the Western world, in, in Europe, Northern Europe, in America. So popular that they had their own gooseberry clubs. There were hundreds of gooseberry clubs across England that had contests about who grew the biggest gooseberries. And they had, you know, different methods, crazy methods. It was a fad, basically. It was a food fad. It was the coconut water of its day. <laughs> it was the cronut of its day. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and because of that, what I found interesting, like any fad, once it's over, it's over. And on top of that, there was also a mildew and, a, and some funguses that came along. So that, that's why gooseberries disappeared. Um, For a long time, you couldn't even grow them in New York State or import them. Because well, they that and black currants. There are several all, of them. Yeah, they all the invasive. same families. They right, were yes. terribly invasive. Yeah. And um, so it, just reading the, the history, I, was, I became fascinated by it. So that's when we started planting. We found gooseberry bushes and we started planting them. And, and uh, they're, they're an amazing fruit. So it's, we're single-handedly determined to bring back the gooseberry. And you included a dessert in the book with gooseberries, did you not? Think? We have the red currant cake. Mm-hmm. Oh, the red currant. Okay. Yep. Yeah. But um, we do have several gooseberry recipes on our website. Oh, that's right. Including it's on gooseberry, the yeah, yes. gooseberry Fool, yes. uh, which was uh, really a precursor to the modern ice cream. Um, yeah. And the uh, full gooseberry fool, fool was actually the first recorded dessert uh, in the English language. And um, it was made, you know, now we think of a fool as a whipped cream and, you know, a very sweet thing. But back then, cream was always sour because it had to collect over several days. So it was sort of, we, we took our twist on it and made it a goat cheese whipped cream uh, gooseberry fool. Um, there's a gooseberry pie recipe on our website. Again, well, you- one of the things we do, now, now we sound so uh, esoteric with things, but one of the things we do in the, rest, in the cookbook, like the red currant cake, we always provide other seasonal fruits that you can use because... Not well, everybody you, has gooseberry bushes. Right, as you, you know. stated, if it's going to be heirloom, the ingredients have to be have readily to find available. It. That's yeah. right. Yeah, excellent. Well, I I can't wait for this to... Actually, I'm, I'm letting people know it's hitting the shelves. Um, I think the week that we air this show, this oh, show great. is airing, the week that the books hit the shelves, run out, take a look, because they truly are beautiful desserts, and... I want to go take a little tour of some of the animals outside. Yes. We are on a farm, right? <laughs> yes. And the gooseberry bushes. And the gooseberry bushes, of course, right? Uh, well, thank you so much for allowing me into your beautiful home and to find out all about the book and all about your 
explorations into heirloom desserts. Thank you so much for having us. This has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.